Detective Corella. Believed to be the only nun in the city with a bushy mustache and a walkie-talkie. Burt Reynolds is Corella. And Corella is Fuzz. I was hoping it's somebody, somebody a little bigger than Detective McHenry works well out of uniform and undercover. Come across the bridge. Raquel Welch is McHenry and McHenry is Fuzz. Stop, please. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. And what movie am I looking at this time? Fuzz from 1972, starring Burt Reynolds, Raquel Welch, Tom Skerritt, and Yule Brenner. And this is what I call character actor movie heaven. If you watch this movie, and if you're a fan of movies, this is one of those movies where you say, I know that guy, I know that woman, I know him, I know her. It's a bunch of familiar faces. Sometimes you don't know the name, but you know the face. And this is definitely one of those movies. This movie is chock full of those people. You've seen these people in commercials, you've seen these people on television, you've seen them all over. You know the face, probably don't know the name. There's a weird thing about Fuzz before I start getting into the movie. The reason I found out about this movie is when I was in college, I was taking a class on filmmaking, and what we had to do was one of our projects was we had to go to the library and watch tapes on filmmaking. And one of the tapes was from the director of this movie, and they was showing scenes from Fuzz. That got me interested, then I saw it later in life, and then I just rewatched it again. I'm going to say it's a really disjointed movie. There are things happening all over the place. We have a ton of subplots, just a ton of characters you got to follow. It sort of reminds me, it's an episode of Barney Miller. That's what it struck me when we were in the precinct. They want to show the camaraderie between the policemen, what happens on a daily basis, but also we go out in the world to try to catch criminals. It's a combination of Barney Miller and Hill Street Blues. The movie is only PG, and I think that hinders it. I think this could have been a wackier comedy cop movie because if you look at the poster, the poster is just really all over the place like the movie. There's a couple of things in the poster that are not connected with the movie. One is Burt Reynolds. They have him lying naked with a bearskin over him and they were replicating his Playgirl photo shoot. And then in the middle of the poster is Raquel Welch dressed like Barbarella. You know, big hair, pink boots, bikini top. She never wears this in the entire movie. And then in the back is there's just a bunch of chaos going on. And that's the movie Fuzz. Chaos. Chaos, a little chaos here, a little chaos there. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. We'll just touch on that as we go. And the opening credits of Fuzz... And you can tell this is a 1970s movie because it's disco-esque porn music. That's what's playing over the opening credits. And this movie, Fuzz, is based on a novel by Ed McBain. And he put out a series of novels about the 87th Precinct in Boston. And that's where this movie takes place. And the opening scene is we see Raquel Welch walk into the police station. And there's a man shouting there in Spanish. None of the cops can speak Spanish, so they're trying to find Gomez. That's the only cop in the precinct that can speak Spanish. 
And Raquel Welch says, I'm here to see you know, Lieutenant so-and-so, Detective so-and-so. Well, we can't get in touch with them. And the thing is, while Raquel Welch is waiting, all the men are staring at her. Mouths open, mouth agape. And Raquel Welch is and was a very attractive woman. But this is Boston in the wintertime. She's bundled up. She's got this huge coat on. She's dressed in layers. And they're looking at her like she's dressed in that pink bikini from the poster. We don't need to press that hard that Raquel Welch is a beautiful woman. She does that quite well on her own. So they send the cop in looking for Gomez to speak Spanish. And that's the last, that scene is dropped. So we never find out what this gentleman in Spanish is in trouble, what he needs. And I'm going to play a clip here. And I'm going to let this clip go on a little longer than usual. This clip just gives the essence of how every scene in the precinct takes place. And to set it up is there's a running gag through the movie of these two guys who are painting the police precinct. So I'll, I'll, I'll run this clip and then we'll talk about it. Muggies, three rapes, a knifing on Water Street, and six assorted burglaries. Who needs you guys? This squad room needs us guys. This squad room is dingy and grimy. You're screwing so up the whole joint. We won't be able to find anything till a week after you're gone. We do a thorough job. Yeah. We didn't ask to come here. You think we got in nothing better doing than smear around here all day? Yeah, you think this is an interesting job? It's a boring job. Everything is apple green. You think that's interesting? The ceiling is apple green. The stairways is apple green. Oh, oh, oh that's some interesting job, all right. I spoke with Faneuil Hall. That was an interesting job. What? Faneuil Hall? That was the best job we ever had. Every one of them markets. You know them markets in there. Every one of them markets was a different color. That was a good job. Yeah. This is a crappy job. It's crappy and it's boring. Slobs. How's that? Nothing. What department you guys from anyway? Public works. Maintenance and repair. Hey, where's my lawyer? Another county heard from... You said he was on his way. He is on his way. Shut up! Why don't you guys paint this place in June instead of November when all the windows are closed? Yeah, what's the matter? You're stinking up that joint. That's what's the matter. It's stuck in here even before we got here. I'll tell you guys one thing. You'd never make it in the Sistine Chapel. Rose. Son of a bitch. 87 Squad Detective Myers. Arts Commissioner Cooper will be killed unless I receive $5,000 before noon tomorrow. More later. What? And if you listen very, very closely in that clip, you can clearly hear one of the actors screw up his lines, and he sort of fumbles over the words, but they kept going, and they kept it in the take, and that's the take they used in the movie, and I think that pretty much describes the movie here. It's a pretty loose movie. We're going to do things, and we're going to see what works, and even if it doesn't work, we're going to try to make it work, so it's... To me, it just felt like a very loosely put-together movie. And I don't want to say they weren't taking it seriously. But I just think that maybe if it was... If everybody took it maybe a little more seriously, we would have a tighter film on our hands. But that's how the police precinct is all the time. Phones ringing, people talking over each other. 
chaos. At the end of that clip, you heard the parks commissioner was going to be killed. And at the end, uh, at the end of that clip, which you can't see since this was audio, like paint dripped all over Jack Weston, who answered the phone. And that's another thing too with this movie. It's when you try to build drama. It's immediately undercut by comedy. We got this pretty dramatic phone call that somebody's going to get assassinated. The minute that guy hangs up, paint drips on his face. Wah, wah, wah. We cut back to the lobby where Raquel Welch is still waiting. They bring in a pickpocket who tried to pickpocket a cop. And everybody is still staring at Raquel Welch. And then we cut to Burt Reynolds, Jack Weston, and their lieutenant played by Dan Frazier. They're all talking about the phone call that Jack Weston just received, that somebody is going to assassinate Parks Commissioner. Burt Reynolds is like, did it sound like a crank? And Jack Weston says, it might have been a prank, but the way the guy sounded, it sounded kind of real to me. I really think we need to take this seriously. They're going back and forth on how they should handle this phone call. And while all this is happening, Burt Reynolds is dressed like a bum. Because uh, another subplot through this movie is that in the city, people are lighting homeless people on fire. And Burt Reynolds is dressed like a bum. He's going undercover to find out who these people, that who are lighting all these homeless people on fire. And then the guy phones again, and we cut to Tom Skerritt answering the phone. And he says the same thing. I'm going to assassinate the parks commissioner if you don't give me $5,000. And he hangs up again because he knows that the phone is being tapped. Well, Raquel Welch finally meets the detective that she was supposed to meet. She's back in the precinct, back with the other cops now. And she is on rape detail. She is a rape decoy. Another subplot is there has been a bunch of rapes happening in Boston. And they brought in Raquel Welch to be a decoy to try to catch the rapist. So as of now, we are maybe 10 minutes into the film. And we have the running gag of the painters. We have the plot of the Parks Commissioner getting assassinated. We have the subplot of homeless people being set on fire. We have the subplot of a rapist running around. This is all within 10 minutes. All this information is pushed in our face right at the beginning. Wow, we have all these trails that we need to remember and we need to follow. The man calls back and says, I want the money in a lunch pail. Put it in the cemetery. Don't bother the person who's going to pick it up. So it's pretty standard blackmail stuff. Drop the money off. Don't try to arrest the person who picks it up. Now we cut to Burt Reynolds. And he's outside. He's in the dark. And he's stumbling around drunk. He's trying to attract the people who are setting the homeless people on fire. And he does just that. He sees two guys coming up on him, so he's pretending to be drunk, and they walk up on him, and he looks up, and they're two young men. They're actually boys. He's so shocked by this that he lets the young men get the drop on him, because Burt Reynolds, he's a cop. He's obviously a veteran cop. He sees the guys. He sees the guys walking towards him, so he knows what they're up to, and he's so shocked that they're young that he lets them get the drop on him, they throw gasoline on him and light him on fire. And I want to say this. Burt Reynolds does his own stunt in this. Burt Reynolds is on fire. 
It's not a stuntman. You can see Burt Reynolds' face clearly. They do not cut away. I I mentioned in my um, episode of Cop and a Half, much year you know 20, 20, about twenty five years later, Burt Reynolds was still doing his own stunts in that movie. So kudos to Burt Reynolds. But the thing is, after you know he gets set on fire and he rolls around in the there's a puddle there and he rolls around in the puddle. He puts out the fire and he takes out his radio and it's just really dramatic. It's like send the meat wagon and ambulance to get me. <laughs> okay. Nobody likes to be get set on fire, but if you saw, he pretty much extinguished himself pretty quickly. But we'll we'll get to the aftermath later. It's the next day. They give a cop a lunch pail, and they say, deliver us to the cemetery. And we see the cop walk out of the precinct with the the lunchbox. We see a gentleman talking to a police officer saying that people are dumping garbage into his car. There's these little vignettes all throughout this movie. Little things about the interaction. And this is where I get the Barney Miller part, where it's just people... Talking to cops, trying to get things done. Sometimes it's big things, sometimes it's little things. And this is it. So the cop is talking to this older man who's tired of people dumping trash into his car. We never see it again. It never comes up again. It was put in there for comic relief. Now we go to uh, the cemetery. Tom Skerritt and his partner, they're scoping out the lunch pail. And a guy in a yellow jacket comes to pick it up, and they follow him. They follow him onto the subway, and while they're on the subway, they look at the guy, the guy in the yellow jacket, and he opens the lunch pail, and there's just pieces of wood in the lunch pail. There was no money. It was a decoy. So he gets off the train, and they follow him through a fruit market, and both... Tom Skerritt and his partner start eating apples. I think that might have been a nod to, in the olden days, you would always see these cops go by fruit stands and, you know, take an apple. I think that was a nod to that. And they follow him to a pool hall called Sam's Pool Hall. And now they're just parked outside waiting for this guy to come out. Now we cut to Burt Reynolds in his hospital bed. And he's his hands are bandaged. And he's there with his wife. And his wife is deaf. So she's sign languaging him and she's reading his lips. And this was a weird scene because, one, we never see the wife again at all. I guess the scene was to show us that Burt Reynolds is a family man. They talk about his wife here. They talk about his kids. Maybe that's to set up you're expecting maybe Burt Reynolds and Raquel Welch to, to get together, but we're establishing that Burt Reynolds is a family man. And uh, she's deaf, and we'll talk about that later. But it's like, it was really weird because it was, you can't, I don't know if they could have used, you know, subtitles like they do in foreign films, but it was just like one of those scenes where a person is on a phone call and they're just repeating what's on the other end. You know, she'll sign something and then he'll repeat it. I know that needs to be done for the movie, but in real life, he's not going to repeat everything she signs to him. 
I don't understand the reason why she's deaf. You think that's going to come into play after you find out some things later, but it never really does. So we find out that Burt Reynolds is fine. He just got it. He got he's got some bandages on his hands, but other than that, he didn't hurt himself. He might have had a concussion. Tom Skerritt and his partner are still outside the pool hall, and the guy in the yellow jacket finally leaves, and then they follow him to his house, and he's in for the night. We cut to a scene where the parks commissioner is shot in the head. That's right. So the guy who made the call went through on his promise. He didn't get the money, so he shot the parks commissioner in the head. And then the police commissioner, Nelson... He calls police precinct, the 87th precinct, and uh, this is what happens when uh, the lieutenant at the 87th picks up the phone. Burns. Burns? This is Commissioner Nelson. What the hell is this about you knowing that Cooper was going to be shot? Uh, Well, sir, uh, we received several threatening telephone calls from an unidentified man on Monday afternoon, sir, uh, which calls I personally discussed with Commissioner Cooper on Monday night. Have you found the location yet? What location, sir? The location from which the shot was fired that killed Parks Commissioner Cooper. Sir, St. Pius is not my precinct. As I'm sure the commissioner realizes, a homicide is investigated by the detectives assigned to the precinct in which the homicide was committed. Now, that's the way we do it in this city, sir. Uh, Perhaps they did it differently in Philadelphia, where you came from, sir. They never killed the Parks Commissioner in Philadelphia, where I came from, Burns. Now... May I suggest that you get a few of your people off their asses and over to that area and find that location, Burns, and report back to me. Yes, sir, as soon as we... Shot the wrong damn commissioner. So now Lieutenant Walker, he's got to get his men out there. He's in charge of this now. And he walks out into the precinct and everyone is gone. Nobody is there except Raquel Welch, who's changing in the men's room. And when he walks in, she gives him the finger, and he walks out. Now uh, we cut to this little kid walking into the police station, and he says he has a message. And he delivers this message to the desk sergeant. They read the message, and then they take the kid into the interrogation room, and they start interrogating the kid. And the kid says, the note was given to me by a bald man with a hearing aid. And the note says that the deputy mayor is the next to be killed. What they do is they put a tap on the guy they followed. I'm going to call him Yellow Jacket because he was wearing a yellow jacket through the whole film. So they put a tap on Yellow Jacket's phone to find out what's going on. Because what they piece together is he opened the lunchbox. There was wood in there, not money. So he obviously told the person or persons that the money wasn't there. And that's why the parks commissioner was killed. So they're going to put a tap on his phone to find out if they can find out everybody involved in the assassination and get them before the deputy mayor is killed next. And and here's a really, really awkward, this is a 1970s scene, really, really awkward. So they put the tap on the phone and Tom Skerritt's partner, who's black, he's the one, he's going to be monitoring the phone. And the guy who put it in says, I really trust you. I trust you with this equipment. I don't trust a lot of people with this equipment. And I trust you with this equipment. And I trust you with this equipment. 
And then he says, I'm not just saying this because you're a N-word. He calls him the N-word. This police officer, really, really cool, puts his arm around him and says, well, let me tell you a few things. And they walk out of frame and he punches him out. So this guy ain't taking any shit. Movies in the 70s and 80s, they would just throw the N-word around like it was nothing. And it just, nowadays, 2020, you hear that and it just hits you in the face. I was shocked. I was literally shocked when I heard that because the guy was having a friendly conversation with him and then all of a sudden he called him the N-word and he gets knocked out. And I was glad to see that. The police monitoring the phone and Yellow Jacket lives with his mother and his mother is Italian. So now we get these scenes of them monitoring the calls, but it's all in Italian. We have no idea what she's saying. Now we're back at the police precinct and we have another small scene, and this one has Brian Doyle Murray. He's in this scene. He's talking to another cop, and the other cop was the actor who played Scum of the Earth in the WKRP episode. People who are old enough are going to know what I'm talking about. So this is just a little comic scene, once again, out of nowhere, and then it's gone, and we never see them again. And these happen all throughout the movie. You need a flowchart just to keep track of all the characters in this movie. Now uh, there's a scene where Burt Reynolds and Jack Weston and they're working and Sadie walks in. Jack Weston and talks to Sadie and then he says, one minute, one minute. And then he goes over to Raquel Welch and then he says, I think you should talk to this person. They might give you a break on your case. So Raquel Welch is working on the rape case. And they send this woman over. It's obvious that this woman is a crackpot because she's basically, she's describing the man who raped her and the man is Zorro. That's who she's describing. And after a couple of minutes, Raquel Welch knows what's going on and she looks over and she sees Burt Reynolds and Jack Weston and been laughing. And it's just like, oh, oh, look at that. That woman over there, she's trying to, she's trying to catch a rapist. <laughs> Let's make her job harder. Let's do that. And Sadie leaves and she balls out. You know, she yells at Jack Weston and, and Burt Reynolds. And then Tom Skerritt walks over and he offers to buy her coffee. She's like, why did they do that? And he's defending them. Like, he, they didn't mean anything. He's trying to pacify her, but he's also trying to defend his friends. After a while, he's able to get her to go out for coffee. We go back to the phone tap, and then we see uh, Yellow Jacket. He's talking to somebody on the phone, and he says, uh, we need to meet. And they go, meet me at Sammy's, and that's the pool hall. So we go to the pool hall, and Jack Weston, in my notes I have it written Jack Warden, and it's not Jack Warden. Jack Warden's a fine actor, but it's not. It's Jack Weston. He's shooting pool, and this pool shark comes up to him, and they're getting a game, and then Yellow Jacket comes in, and he bullshits with him a little bit, and then he walks over to this guy in the corner, has a couple of words with him, and then he leaves. And then Jack Weston says, I gotta get out of here, and he leaves, and he follows Yellow Jacket down just to see him get in a car and drive away. And Jack Weston is pissed because he lost his tail. We're back in the precinct, and now we see Burt Reynolds has no bandages on his hand. None. 
and there's no burn marks or no scarring on his hands. This is only a couple of days. This is not months later. He had those bandages on for a couple of days. Now his hands are out and his hands look great. Uh, so they must not have been that deep of burns just to have your hands fully recovered in a matter of days. And now we see a little girl. She comes in with a message. This message tells them where to put the money so they won't murder the deputy mayor. Now we cut to everybody on the stakeout. This lunch pail is in the park, and Burt Reynolds and Jack Weston are there. They're dressed as nuns. Tom Skerritt and Raquel Welch, they're in a sleeping bag. There's all other cops. They're all planted all along this park, ready to catch the person who picks up this lunchbox. And John Weston, he's venting to Burt Reynolds because he messed up his tail, and that's why he has to dress up like a nun. I don't know why Burt Reynolds had to dress up like a nun. He didn't mess up. Uh, but now he's Jack Weston is afraid that the lieutenant is mad at him. And while they're arguing and while they're going back and forth, a kid picks up the garbage pail, and he starts taking off. And Burt Reynolds and Jack Weston take off after him. And Tom Skerritt and Raquel Welch want to take off after him, but they can't because they're stuck in the sleeping bag. The sleeping bag has a broken zipper, and they can't get out of it. And another cop tries to pull out his gun, and he shoots him in his foot. So now we're back into the wacky. We're, we're the wacky cops after we're, we're the wacky cops after this kid in the lunchbox and Burt Reynolds is running in a nun outfit and Burt Reynolds trips and does a, a trip and roll once again it's him he's doing his own stunts good for you Burt Raquel Welch finally gets out of the sleeping bag and she runs him down puts a gun in his face and they take him back to the precinct and they're interrogating the kid while they're interrogating him Jack Weston takes Burt Reynolds out of the room, and he says this to him. How did you run? So we got to try the Mutt and Jeff routine. Okay, I'm not just Oh, no, no, no. I'm desperate. i got to be good now. Damn it, God, God, I'm in enough trouble with Burns. Uh, please, for me, stay. What do I always what have to do to hurt you? One time, do it for me. i got to be Mutt. Let me do it. All right? I'm going to pick up a bunch of I've done it. Who asked you, Alan? A bald guy wearing a hearing aid. Yeah, wearing a hearing aid. We're tired of screwing around with you now, kid. Now, what was the guy's name that you were going to meet? I don't know his name. Maybe Pete Schroeder. I'm telling you, I don't know. God damn it, will you stop lying to us? All right, cut it out. I hate you with it, Lord. Cut it out. Come on. Keep it cool. There are other ways of doing this, okay? Now, come on, Alan. Sit down. Here. Come here. Come on. Come on. Mutt and Jeff, which I don't understand. It's good cop, bad cop. That's what they're doing. Mutt and Jeff, for those of you who are not an old relic like me, was an old cartoon with one person really tall and one person really short. And that's what they called Mutt and Jeff. So I don't really know where the, the Mutt and Jeff came from for good cop, bad cop. 
But they realize that this kid really doesn't know anything, and they let him go. And they've realized the deaf man, that's what they've named him, the deaf man, he's not interested in the money. He wants to kill these people, and he's playing some sort of game. And now we cut to the locker room, and here's your Burt Reynolds beefcake scene. He's got his shirt off, and he's talking to Jack Weston, and he's changing. And then he talks about his wife, because he brings up the deaf man who they're after, and then his wife is deaf. And you think that there might be some connection. He might use somehow his wife being deaf. He's going to use something involved with that to catch the deaf man. I'm going to let you know right now. He doesn't. His wife being deaf has absolutely nothing to do with the story. We see her that one time in the hospital, and she's gone. Her being deaf was just, I guess, a red herring or a MacGuffin. You think that it has something to do with the plot when you find out the main bad guy is deaf, but it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. Now we see a man, he's in work overalls, he goes to the police garage, and he has to fix the deputy mayor's car. The clock in the car is broken, he has to fix it. And this guy is Peter Bonzer, who you may know as the dentist from the Bob Newhart show. So this was right before he started doing that show. So he's in cahoots with the deaf man. And this is another thing I don't understand. Or it's not told to us. They take this guy's word. He's got credentials. But they take this guy's word that he's here to fix the clock on the deputy mayor's car. Do they know... Have they been told that the deputy mayor has been marked for assassination? Have they? If they have, you've got to look at this guy more closely. You can't just let anybody who wants to work on the deputy mayor's car, you just can't let him do that. And if they don't know this, well, then that's the fault of everybody else on the police for not letting anybody know that watch the deputy mayor's car because he's been marked for an assassination. This was very sloppy, easy writing here where, oh, a guy in overalls, he's gonna, he puts a bomb in his car. That's what he does. We see that. In real life, if anybody had any competence at all, this would never, never, never happen. He doesn't slip in there at night and do it when nobody's watching. He just goes there. And if they know about the assassination, don't let him touch the car. If they don't know about the assassination, well, then that's everybody's fault for not letting people know. And now there's a bomb in the deputy mayor's car. Now we cut to a dirty bookstore. And that's where Yellow Jacket, the man they followed, well, they followed him to a dirty bookstore, Burt Reynolds did, and a couple other cops. Yellow Jacket meets up with his partner, and they're talking about getting rid of another partner. It's like, we got this big job coming up. It's going to get us a lot of money. We don't want to split it three ways. So we're going to have to kill our partner. So Yellow Jacket and his partner are talking about killing the other partner in this big job that's coming up. We cut to the deputy mayor in the car with his wife, bodyguards. They're going to a synagogue. He's making a speech. And what do you know? Ba-boom! The car blows up. Uh, now we're back to Tom Skerritt and his partner following Yellow Jacket. And it's the next day, and Yellow Jacket gets into a car with a blonde. 
and they think it's a woman. Then Yellow Jacket gets out of the car and walks away, and they go to the car to arrest a blonde, but it's not a woman, it's a man. It's a man with long blonde hair. And this is 1972, and they're shocked. Like, it's a man! But this is 1972. A lot of guys wore their hair really, really long in 1972. I, so I can't believe they would have been that shocked to find out that it was a guy. You know, they do a quick interrogation of him in the cop car, and this guy with the long blonde hair says, we're going to knock over a liquor store. And then they realize that they've been following the wrong guy. This guy has nothing to do with the assassination. He picked up the lunchbox just because he was a lowlife and that he had nothing to do with the plot. They've spent all this time following the wrong guy for the assassinations. And now we cut to this giant mansion. And now we first see Yul Brenner as the Death Man. The man behind the scheme. So Yul Brenner, the Death Man, is there with two of his hoods and a girlfriend. He tells everybody that they are going to hit Mr. Jefferson of Jefferson Industries and going to extort him for $500,000. We cut back to the precinct, and there's a bunch of homeless people in the lobby of the precinct asking the police what are they going to do about the guys setting them on fire. So don't forget, we still have all the other subplots of setting homeless people on fire and the rapists. Don't forget that. Because I did. I forgot those two were a thing. But they are. And then so they put this little scene as to remember, there's still people setting people on fire. Don't forget that. And remember the rapist? Well, now we see Raquel Welch walking through the park at night by herself. They sent a woman on rape patrol by herself. No backup whatsoever. And this rapist comes up to her, starts walking with her, starts running after her. She goes for her purse. She loses her purse. They scuffle. She gets her purse. She gets her gun. And she points, you know, she points the gun at his, at his dick and says, one more move and I'll ruin your career. Now we end one of the subplots. Raquel Welch has caught the rapist by herself. No backup. So that subplot is gone, and Raquel Welch is gone for the rest of the movie. That was her final scene. We cut back to the deaf man's house. They're building a bomb. And what they're going to do is they are going to put a bomb in the mayor's mansion. The way they're going to do this is they're going to cut the power in the mayor's mansion. They're going to pretend to work for the electric company. They're going to get in there and plant a bomb under the mayor's bed. The reason that they're doing this and the reason that they killed the other two, the parks commissioner and the deputy commissioner, is when they contact Mr. Jefferson, they want to have that cachet under their belt. As in, we've killed these people. We've killed the deputy mayor, we've killed the parks commissioner, and we're going to kill the, the mayor. 
I don't really know why they have to kill the mayor. I think the fact that they killed two high-profile people already, but they're going to make it three. So their plot is to put a bomb in the mayor's mansion. Now we cut back to the precinct and the painters. Remember the painters? Remember that sub-story? Well, the painters are done and they're leaving the precinct and uh, one of the cops sees that there is a blanket in the back of their truck and he pulls up the blanket and there's a bunch of typewriters and other stuff. So while they were painting from the precinct, they were stealing from the precinct. And that guy, or, and the cop arrests him. He actually handcuffs him to the typewriters. Another subplot. <laughs> Done. And that cop, that was the black cop. He's gone. You don't see him for the rest of the movie. So whenever somebody ties up a subplot, they are gone. The deaf man and his two associates, they're driving around in a van. They pull up to a manhole. They drop a grenade down a manhole. It blows up. It kills the power grid. Lights go out in the mayor's mansion. And they pull up one of the associates, Peter Bonzer. He's dressed as a cop. He says, you got to let us in. We think there's a leak in the line. We got to find out why. Long story short, Yule Brenner and his cronies get into the mayor's mansion and they plant a bomb under the mayor's bed. Now we cut to Burt Reynolds, Tom Skerritt, and Jack Weston. They're all in the car. They're all in a car and they're all on the way to the stakeout of the liquor store. Because since they followed the guy in the yellow jacket, since he wasn't involved in the assassination of two major political people, they're, they're going on this liquor store stakeout to catch these guys before they rob the liquor store. And Burt Reynolds and Tom Skerritt, they ain't happy about this. 18 guys in that squad, and I gotta get picked to go on his own job. Will you tell me that? Why? Why do I have to go along? The same reason I had to go along, because the lieutenant does not like Meyer, Steve. Right. He likes me. No, he doesn't, Meyer. You always get the dumb jobs, you know that. What does that say? I should be working on an extortion case right now, Meyer. An extortion case. I shouldn't be going to some dumb liquor store waiting for two two-bit punks to show up. Yeah, why don't you just admit you hesitated in the wrong man, Meyer? Who? You, you. Follow and contain. Those are your orders. Yes? Going after the wrong man, Meyer. It was the lieutenant's fault. Right. You know why it was the lieutenant's fault? Because he doesn't like you, that's right. He likes me, he likes me. Now the deaf man calls Mr. Jefferson and says, I want $500,000 or else I'll kill your wife and your daughters. He goes, I'm the guy who killed the uh, parks commissioner and the deputy mayor. You know what? And I just realized this is actually pretty smart. The thing I said earlier in the podcast, ignore that. It's pretty smart. He goes, if you don't believe me, there's going to be another political person dead by morning. And actually, that's pretty smart because he could just be claiming that he killed the first two people. He has no proof about it. But if he predicts the murder of somebody and that happens, then this guy is going to take him seriously. I was dumb at the beginning of this podcast. I am smart now. And the deaf man, that was a smart thing to do. And he hangs up, and then Mr. Jefferson calls the police commissioner, lines busy, 
And then he calls the bank. So he's getting the money ready because he obviously loves his family. You don't see a lot of that in uh, cruel businessmen nowadays. We're at the we're at the stakeout in the liquor store. Jack Weston, he's out in the car. Burt Reynolds and Tom Skerritt, they're in the back. They're in the storeroom. And here is where everything converges. The Yellow Jacket and his partner, they're walking towards the liquor store. They're walking towards the back of the liquor store to rob it. The Deaf Man and his two cronies have pulled up in front of the liquor store. The Deaf Man and Peter Bonzer, who's still dressed as a cop, they walk into the liquor store at the same moment when the two punks break into the back. And the two punks see Peter Bonzer dressed as a cop, and they yell, cop, and then... Peter Bonzer has a gun start shooting and the punk starts shooting and Tom Skerritt and Burt Reynolds have taken cover. So it all by happenstance. Everybody is in the same place just by happenstance. And I didn't know because I looked and there was only like four minutes left in this movie. I'm like, how are they going to bring this all together? Because I had forgotten the ending. You know how they do it? Lazy writing. That's how they do it. Everybody's at the liquor store at the same time. And Peter Bonzer gets shot. And the two punks get shot. And Yule Brenner gets shot, but he's not killed. So he runs out. And his partner, who's in the car, sees the cops run out. And he takes off. And Jack Weston, from his car, shoots the deaf man's man in his car. And his car runs into a building, and he's dead. The deaf man is on the run. So Tom Skerritt checks out the car of Death Man, while Jack Weston and Burt Reynolds chase Death Man to the docks. All this happened within 20, 30 seconds. All the, all the tendrils, all the octopus tendrils, they all came together and they all, they all took care of themselves within 30 seconds. Tom Skerritt goes through the guy's car, the Death Man's car. He finds out the blueprints to the mayor's mansion so he knows something's up. And Burt Reynolds and Jack Weston follow the deaf man. And they lose him because a train goes by. So the deaf man gets over the tracks. The train comes by. Jack Weston and Burt Reynolds have to wait for the train to go by to chase him. And while this is happening, Yul Brenner, the deaf man, wanders into the docks. And he's staggering because he's been shot. And then the two kids who set bums on fire, remember them? we got to take care of that loose end as well. They see the deaf man, think he's drunk, throw gasoline on him, set him on fire. And while on fire, the deaf man runs and jumps in the river. Burt Reynolds and Jack Weston converge on the two kids setting bums on fire, and Burt Reynolds actually punches one in the face. I'm like, you know what? If somebody set me on fire, I'd punch him in the face as well. And then, the aftermath. Tom Skerritt, he called the mayor's mansion. They were able to find the bomb under the bed. The two men who set uh, homeless people on fire, they're sent to jail. And the deaf man, well, they can't find the body. And they said, well, if they drag the river, they'll find the body. And Tom Skerritt, Burt Reynolds, and Jack Weston all walk away. And then out of the river, we see a hand come up and grab the hearing aid that's floating in the water. Credits. And that is Fuzz. From 1972. Whew! And 
what did I think of Fuzz? Not much. There's too much going on. There's this way too much going on. You can't get invested in a single solitary character because they're only on the screen for a moment or two, then we switch to somebody else. There's four subplots going on, I believe, and we introdu we're introduced to characters that we don't need to be introduced to. It's just hard keeping track of everybody. I think this was going to be a series of films. That's why they were trying to get everybody on screen. Uh, the movie did not do that well, so the sequels never came never came around. This is not a Burt Reynolds movie. This is definitely an ensemble cast. And the thing is, too, once somebody wraps up their subplot, they're done. They're out of the movie. It's like a revolving door. This character is in, this character is out. We only have... We have a handful of major characters that are through the movie, but just people in and out of the movie all the time. It's just hard to follow. I would have liked the one plot, the assassination plot, and then maybe one subplot about uh, setting bums on fire. So yeah, it's it's not really fun. It's just it's more frustrating than it's not. It's not a bad movie. But it's a frustrating movie. Uh, and it has so much talent. I love all the actors in this movie. And and like I said, if you're a movie buff, you're going to recognize people just all over this movie. But it's just, it's just a nothing movie. I hate to say that, but it is. It's just a nothing movie. And uh, if you're a Burt Reynolds fan, he's, like I said, he's not focused on this movie. Not, not that he has to be, but I think I've made it clear that you, you can pass on fuzz and you're not missing anything. And this has been another episode of the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to, you can support me on Patreon. How? Have a listen. And we'll see you next time. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. This should help people find the podcast when they're searching. Uh, no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. I dragged the river to find a body. Well, it's really amazing, you know. What's amazing? Well, the death man, the planning of the bomb under the mayor's bed, the way we tied the whole thing up. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Son of a bitch at all. Yeah, Staked out in the back of a liquor yeah, store, getting their ass man. shot off. Garbage? What do you mean garbage? We're garbage men. Now look, this was based on good sound police work. It was. Sound police? Boy, I can't wait to see the lieutenant's face in the morning. Big headlines. 87 precinct stunning destruction of the deaf man. <laughs> well, the important thing is we solved the crime. Right? world will never know. Never know. <laughs>